Hey everyone, I'm Alan Schimmel and you're watching CISO Talk. Thanks for joining us today. Let me jump right into it by introducing our fantastic panel for today's show. First, I want to introduce my co-host for CISO Talk. He is the Chief Infrastructure and Security Officer. I think that's what it is, at Unisys. My friend Matt Newfield. Hey Matt, welcome. Alan, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Yep. Matt, what is a Chief Infrastructure and Security Officer? It, in my opinion, is the new way of thinking. So it is a combination of a CISO and a CIO, so that instead of having security report through to a CIO, it's the exact opposite. Security is our foundation and all of our infrastructure uh, reporting through our security uh, organization. Thank you. Good stuff. Next, I want to introduce, well, both of our guests this week are actually returning guests who've been on CISO Talk before. Let me first introduce from Tampa, Larry Whiteside Jr. Larry, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me back. Love, love running my mouth and love being on this show. So those two things go together. <laughs> yeah, they do. You're not the only one either, I might add. But um, Larry, why don't you give people a little bit of your background? Yep. So uh, oof, um, I'll keep it brief. So currently uh, chief technology officer of an organization called CyberClan. Um, but more importantly, I'm a co-founder and current president of an organization called ICMCP, International Consortium of Minority Cybersecurity Professionals. Uh, we are geared at increasing diversity in the field of cyber. I'm doing good work doing it. Thank you, Larry, and welcome. Okay, next up from, it, from Atlanta... We have Nicole Dove. Nicole, welcome back. Thanks for coming back. A little bit of your background for our audience. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me back, Alan. Everyone, I am a business <laughs> information security officer at Warner Media, and my job is to essentially be Switzerland between uh, our business units <laughs> and our cybersecurity office. Lots of fun. Hey, there's nothing about it. You get good watches and chocolate. Um, then finally, last but not least, is my my uh, you know sidekick on all of our shows. We co-host a bunch of stuff together, and was working together for twenty years. Mitchell Ashley, Mitchell is CTO at MediaOps and CEO of Accelerated Strategies Group, an independent analyst firm. Mitchell, welcome. How are you? Good to be here, and I fulfill the Ed McMahon role of yes. the cars. So, <laughs> yes. You know the problem, Mitch, is if they're not our age, they don't remember Johnny Carson. Sorry, yeah, Google, it. Google it. We're going to have to come up with some new names, like you're Colbert, and I'm I'm the other guy who left. Yeah, but, but then you uh, lose all the people that remember Carson. Let's exactly. just be honest here. Right. Yeah, but they're dropping like flies anyway, Matt. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> anyway, all right, let, let's move on. Let's move on. Guys, today's CISO topic is... Why do best practices fail so often? And it, you know, and people might say, what? What do you mean? But it's true. You know, in my career in security, it's spanning, I don't know, 20 plus years now. All I've ever heard is, you know, security best practices, defense in depth, and this and that. And, you know, we, I've never heard someone say, oh, this happened because I didn't follow best practices. We're all thinking we're following best practices. Yet we still, you know, this week we, we were talking about gas lines because of some ransomware thing that closed down a gas pipe and people are panicking. 
why 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 can't we get this right? Why are our best are our best practices really not best? Are we really not following them? Or does it just not make a difference? I don't know the answer. But you know what, Matt? I, w- I was going to ask you to kick it off. Why? What? What's going on? So you know, it's it's a actually it's a fun topic that a lot of boards are talking about, a lot of executives are talking about as we move into the next chapter of of cyber resiliency in an organization. Of what does best practice actually mean? I think a lot of companies use best practices as crutches. Um, they use it as a scapegoat of, look, I followed this best practice guide, this framework. I did what the framework says, and we still had an incident. And and where I think people go wrong is they don't come from a place of understanding. They don't understand that best practices should be your framework, right? It's the base of a framework to really build upon. And they rely on these things as, as known truths. And for some reason, if you're doing this best practice, bad things won't happen. And we always do analogies on this show. And to me, it's driving is the analogy. And I mean a vehicle. We all drive vehicles. And there's a series of best practices, right? Drive 55 miles an hour, stay in the right lane unless you're passing somebody. Use your you know, your turn signal if you're making turns. Uh, t- 10 and 3, as my kids are now telling me, you have to hold the bottom of the steering wheel instead of the top. You have all these best practices. And yet, every year, people still get into accidents that are following those best practices, and people still unfortunately die from those accidents. And if you step back and think about it, cybersecurity is the same problem. We have this set of core, but that's not enough. You have to do so much more. You just can't go below and be defensible. And I'd love to get, you know, Larry is a CTO, and look, I've known Larry a long time. I think he and I met 20 years ago. And you, you think about what you and I did back in the day um, with cybersecurity to where we are. And Nicole, with you, and introducing yourself as Switzerland always makes me giggle because, I'm sorry, uh, fun and what we do is generally not. Uh, but <laughs> you've got to deal with that because you could have one side saying, I follow best practices and another side going, that's not enough. And, and I'll throw the one last thing that I would love discussions. How many corporations are taking those and adjusting them for their needs? Because it, best practices become very personal. What we do in my corporation is very different than what I did at my last job and the job before. Different markets, different regions, different uh, employees or associates, different deliverables, different clients. One size doesn't fit all. I'll, I'll open it up. Larry, Nicole. Um, so, so I'll, I'll take this in two ways. So one, to your question, you gave three points. So all of those points are valid. And to, to Matt's point, right? The reality is we take these best practices, but the threats have changed daily, right? And so we can't rely on a best practice that was developed five, seven years ago based on a point in time, because let's be very clear best practices have not changed daily to keep up with the threats that have changed daily. So you've got the nuance of business and then you've got the nuance of the threats as they change daily. So it's people not really focusing and realizing all of those caveats of the moving parts to your analogy of driving, right? Those practices, those best practices of driving are 30 years old. How has driving changed in 30 years? It's changed a lot because we've got driverless cars on the road now. We've got, we've got so many different things 
right, that are involved with driving now, right, the, the speed of cars, the top speed of a car that was actually on the regular driving road, right, back 30 to 50 years ago was probably not 175 miles an hour, right? But we have a ton of those out there now. We didn't have most, like, so there's so many different caveats now, but in cyber, it's the exact same thing. But we, for some reason, still think that if we implement just the best practices, if we do just good enough, not realizing that the reality is, is every organization is going to be based on their ability to respond or lack thereof, right? If you look at a number of breaches that have happened over the last decade, right, it's not about the breach happening. Yeah, there's been some news around the breach happening. Yeah, there's been some some foobars where things were left, you know, uh, unpatched, things were left misconfigured, an account was left out there. Those things have happened. But people have been largely gauged on how did they respond when it happened, right? Did they blame it on an intern? Did they, right, did they, did they own it? Did they respond fast enough? Were they getting the logs, right? Were they getting alerts and nobody's responding to them? And, and you go back and the, the forensics happens and they're like, oh, they, they were getting alerts about this for, you know, six weeks prior to anything happening. So, so um, it, it's a problem. I mean, it, it's like the security one-on-one conversations that we continue to have. I literally just had this conversation this morning around asset management, right? Asset management, the, 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 the impetus of knowing what you have is literally the foundation of our industry. And we still today, like we, we've never seen, if you think about all of the cyber businesses that have been built over the last 10, 15 years, how many of them have dealt with asset management? Right. <laughs> right. And so, so we, it, it, it's, it's a combination of all of the three things that you said. A, we don't do it. Right. Uh, B, the, 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 the businesses, it's not, there's a moving target associated with it that nobody really realizes. And then you've got these competing priorities, right? Where w- one entity, one business unit, it's, it's important here, right? Another business unit, it's not as important. And you have them competing because you've got this deadline of getting the software <laughs> out of, you've got this deadline of getting the product out of, you've got this. And so you have all of these competing things. So Matt, to your new role and how they, they've changed it. Right. I think you are one of maybe six guys or, or, or roles in the CISO community today that has what I call ownership. Right. One of the big things that I've talked about about the CISO role for a long time is a lack of ownership mm-hmm. in the things that we are tasked with being responsible for protecting. And so the organizations who are forward digging and starting to give the CISO that ownership so that you can, to your point, make security. The, the baseline and the driver, and then we'll build everything else based off of a secure mindset is the direction we've got to start going if we really want this whole best practices conversation to be a real impactful thing as we move forward. So I'll throw it out there and Nicole, I'll hand it to you for your thoughts on this. But you know where I like you set, where you're going with this is I actually think best practices need to go away. Right. They, they, their frameworks is really what we should be talking about is picking a framework and customizing that framework for your organization. Because, again, I think we're, we're saying it, it all saying the same way. And, and Nicole, especially in your role, I'm curious about this concept of there is not a baseline that I really care about. There's not a 
best practice I really care about because there's ways around those right. best practices. What I care about is a single term for my organization. And Larry, you've been hitting it spot on, which is defensibility. I can't stop everything from happening, but I need to put us in a defensible position. That's really key. And best practices from dev, DevSecOps, from IT management do not give you that. What really gives you that is a framework that you can automate around, you can build around, you can audit against, and that is adaptable, changeable, um, and easily modified if you need to on the, the daily threats. And Nicole, in your Switzerland role, I mean, you've got to deal with this heavily between someone who thinks they own everything, someone who thinks they're accountable for everything, and getting that to work as a BSO. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. Um, and it's influenced a lot by a lot of, of what Larry mentioned, right? I think the first thing is, is well, let me take a step back. I, I, I totally agree. We have to stop saying best practices, right? I think it's it's less about the practice and more about the goal. And the goal is essentially right in the center of my role, right? Information security. We have to protect the information. How we do that will vary based on the tool, based on the environment, based on the users, how we share information, how we keep information. Um, what I what I what I would like to address, though, is not all organizations have information security at, at the core as, as you do, Matt, right? So how, how do we address that? And to the earlier point of CISOs not really owning anything, now it becomes a game of negotiation and influence. And how do you best do that? And the thing is, is you have, we have to stop complicating this and make it very practical because we're not bargaining with security people. We're bargaining with software developers, right? We're bargaining with infrastructure leaders. They just want to get their jobs done and keep the lights on. And they see us, us being security professionals as, here you come with your long policies that, that teach me nothing and your long list of things that you want me to do. And you're telling me to do all of this stuff. I need to go live in three weeks. Like, how do we get there? My approach has been, Switzer, very, very Swiss, if you will, right? So what I do is I actually have conversations with these development folks. And I, and I say, okay, what are we trying to do, right? What's the goal of, of this tool, this application you're building? What are we trying to get to? And we look at essentially what's embedded within this new technology and we figure out, okay, what are the threats surrounding this? And what are the things from this long laundry list that we really need to do? There are some things that we should do, but they're going to be uh, an inventory things of things that we must do. And we need to focus on those must do things. If not, we're going to lose a lot of leverage. We're going to have all this shadow IT all over the place. And then we're going to be in a position where we're always defending because we don't effectively manage our assets and assess our threat environment. And it just leaves us in a susceptible position where people can't buy gas and we're blaming interns for all kinds of craziness. But isn't mm -hmm. that what we're supposed to do is blame interns? And by the way, relevant. I couldn't agree with you more. Everything you said, because, you know, you and Larry both said it. It's communication 101. We, it, we are not the yes or no organization. It needs to be 
business. And I, and I think one thing, and you were you just were getting to it, but you know, you also end up when you're talking to developers or you're talking to sysadmins, they go, well, let me get this straight. You have something in your organization called best practices, and you're telling me those best practices with the word best are not good enough. So there's better than best practices in your organization <laughs> that you want us to adhere to, which is why I think we need to get rid of best practices as a concept. You build the framework. Um, Mitch, yeah, you've been quiet. And, oh, no, sorry. I'm, go ahead, Nicole. I'm, I'm, I'm loving, loving what everybody's saying. I, you know, I think what we do is we, we mistake, quote unquote, best practices as the measure of success. And what, or, and also is the the excuse for when something when they fail and something happens. Well, we were following best practices, right? And and all of you have, have hit on this in multiple ways. It, it's really not about that measure. It's about the measure of what we're doing to equip and help the organization, the company, to operate and function securely in a very dynamic environment, right? Technology environment, like Larry was talking about. Larry, I think you also referenced the business changing or in a we're in a world where company needs to pivot company needs to respond to competition pandemic whatever it might be right and those things aren't going to slow down so part of our our goals are built around helping implement security with agility to understand that things are going to change nothing is constant it's not a solid it's a fluid so in that environment how do we help people how do we equip how do we measure success so that's what I really pick up from uh, what all three of you are saying about this, that sort of throw out best practices. That's the solid that doesn't matter anymore. We're in a state of fluid. You know, so I'm reminded when I first started DevOps.com 2013, 2014, eight years ago, at the same time or a couple months after that, I also co-founded the DevOps Institute. And I caught a lot of crap from the community about, you know, there's never been a manifesto for DevOps. We don't have a solid definition of DevOps. How can we have certifications and testings around DevOps? It's fluid, to use Mitchell's term. And, and some of it was rightful, some of it wasn't. Some of it were just people's sour grapes because they didn't think of it. But that being said, what we quickly responded with was Sometimes there are no best practices, especially in rapidly changing emerging fields. What we have are emerging practices. What we have are emerging practices. No one's saying they're fully cooked. Or what, what we're really saying is as we sit here today and from this vantage point, this seems to be the way we should do it. But I reserve the right to change that based upon further knowledge. Today, I didn't, I think masks are a great, great way of preventing COVID. But six months ago, I was, I was scrubbing the packages that the Instagram people dropped off because I thought it may be transferred on the paper bags. Now we know that was probably a lot of wasted scrubbing of paper bags. But Do we have video of that, Alan? We have question. I, I have like a coffee boy video of of yeah the this paper bag scrubber. Don't go there with. And me. I think it was Instacart people, not Instagram people. If Instacart, Instagram yeah. Well, my people, Instagram okay. people. Wow, that's a whole other level of delivery. That you I'm know, maybe it was Instacart by you, but it was best practices here. So we, you know, we have we have emerging 
practices. But I, I'm going to say something else, and this is the law school graduate in me. When I hear us talk about reasonable, defensible, you know, this kind of thing, that sounds like CYA to me. Yeah, we got broken into. Oh, my God, you guys must have done terrible. Well, no, I did what a reasonable person should do. I, you know, we have a defensible thing here. I'm sorry that 310 people's information was stolen and, and a couple of people are ruined. And, but you know what? I, I was reasonable. And I'm not saying be unreasonable, right? Because the opposite of reasonable is unreasonable. But I, I think it's incumbent upon us to as Mitchell said, recognize the fluidity of our situation and be constantly vigilant. I think that's a great motto for security folks, right? It, it, like Space Force has their thing and the Army and the Navy, Semper Fi. We need to be constantly vigilant and adapting to what's going on. Too often in security, security becomes the Maginot Line Right? We're going to do the reasonable thing and fight last year's war. We'll fight the last war. We'll use the last war's tactics to fight the next war. That's the, core reason, that's the core reason best practices don't work. They were written. Stop. The they were. War. But it doesn't matter. They Anything were. else, they were written. They, right. are, they are not being written right now. Which They're is not emerging. No. That's why frameworks. And, and to... to Poke a little about your statement on defensibility. Defensibility to me is not about um, doing as little as possible to get by. Defensibility to me is about taking personal accountability and being able to say, I would be willing to step up. I can't build a car that can never get into an accident. I can't. But I want to build a car that when we get into an accident, to Larry's statement and to Nicole's statement, when something happens... We are responding, and nobody's going to look at us and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. You don't have change control in place? You, you don't have uh, a database of all your assets? You, you, Everybody in your company is domain admin? That's defensibility to me. It's making sure that you're doing those things based on a framework, based on current norms that are comfortable for your organization, that's defensibility to me. It's not a, well, you know, we did what we did, but... No, you know, no, let me, let me get all legal on you, Matt. It's the difference between best efforts and best commercial efforts. No lawyer worth his salt will let the word best efforts sit in a contract because that's almost superhuman. We use best commercial efforts. That's so we can't say we're going to give 120% in a contract? That's that's not legal. 142. That's those security guys doing math again. How did you get this job at Unisense? 120. You can't give 120. percent We're only kidding. But guys, come on. Let, let's hear. Let's hear from some of the rest of the team. Matt and I have been going off on a on a tangent. I, I, listen, I literally could do a dissertation on this, right? Because I have this conversation so many times, right? Organizations are stuck in this best practice thing. And, and here's the reality. The people who deal with it the most is the SMB, small to medium-sized businesses. Yeah. Because they're even less informed, educated, prepared, staffed, whatever you want to call it, all of them, right, to deal with these things. And so they're constantly asking. In my role today, this company I'm with, we deal 100% with the SMB. 
and the SMB is they make up 75% of global businesses. And so when you think about that, the sheer number of what that looks like, imagine how many organizations that is that are out there that just don't get it, that are not. And, and there are some SMBs that are, you know, a billion dollars, $2 billion in revenue, but they're an SMB. They, you know, they, they just don't get it. And so they're dealing with this. Well, we're, we're doing best practice. We're doing what, right? We're, we're doing what someone told us we should do from a best practice standpoint, but they know nothing about frameworks. They know nothing about any, if you ask them about NIST, you ask them about, about ISO, you know, CIS, any of that, they're, they're, you're speaking French to them, right? Because they have no idea what those things are. They don't know what controls are. Right. And so they're just trying to say, well, I, well, we bought these products that somebody told us to buy. And I'm like, ah, you know, I look like Macaulay Culkin. Right. It's just crazy because, yes, because it, it is it's sad. But then you move yeah. that to the other 25 percent of businesses. Right. Fortune 1000, Fortune 500, Fortune 10 companies who have all the staff, all the budget, all the resources who still are focusing on doing these best practice things, right? Well, best practice says that we should. And I'm like, what? Right? Because the, like, if we go a little exactly to your point, they were written, right? And you say, well, okay, yes, that was that's great. That best practice was created 10 years ago when the threats that we have today didn't exist, right? right. Business email compromise was not even a word or phrase that we used 10 years ago. So, like, wh what are we doing when you say that this is that, that you're following best practice? Like, we've got like you weren't using cloud email when that best practice on your email security configuration was set up. Like, so wh what are we doing? We're like, we've got to take context, and that's what I think really is important. Is that as people are thinking through how they are securing their organization, context matters, right? We talked about this in the beginning, right? The context of the business. How do they make money, right? I, I, I love what you said, Nicole, as when you said you speak with these developers and you said, listen, you can go through a thousand things and say they have a thousand things that they need to do. But, but in real context, do all a thousand things really matter? No. You can call that down to probably 15 to 20% of what those thousand things are. are here are the things that need to happen before you go live, right? Do these things, and these things are going to mitigate 95% of the risk associated with us going live. So let's just get that done so we can move forward. Those other things, they're ancillary risks that we'll accept or we'll, we'll write off or we'll deal with at some other point. But we don't need that to get in the way of going live. The problem is these other business units, these other technology units, they still see us as who we were as it relates to security, where we come in with our dictator pole and like Thor, thou will, right? You know, like, like we're Moses standing on top of the mountaintop. Thou shall, right? Lightning strikes and it's like, oh my God, security, right? But, but we've got to be more business aligned and help them understand, like we're in this together. Like one of the things that I do at, in every CISO role that I've had, and, and God willing, I won't have to take another one, but <laughs> every CISO role I've had, um, it's, yeah, that's a long story. But um, my, my goal is to see 
how are business leaders incentivized? What are, what are their drivers, right? How, how, what are the things that they need to do to accomplish their goals and then how they incentivize to do that? Because guess what? When I come in and talk to them about risk mitigation to help them achieve their goals faster, I've never had a business leader who didn't sign up. And not once have I ever said the term implement best practices. Agreed. Never been a conversation. I don't like to use the word policy at all. It scares people. It scares me. <laughs> and policy is a big part of my job. But there are a few key important points. I think one is we have to not be afraid to pressure test our own requirements, right? If we have all of these things, or we have these, these must um, uh, directives from our policy, why are we doing that, right? I also think we have an obligation to, um, to not waste a good crisis. Anytime I want to introduce a concept of security to my business partners, I start by whatever is the, the, the biggest breach or attack or incident that's happening in the news. And I make it very, very relatable to them, right? Because now they're interested. And to your point, Larry, um, a lot of that, I, I leverage the same track to get um, alignment and agreement and an invitation from my business partners into their world. And what I find is that most business leaders are typically focused on customer sentiment, retention, and financial performance. If you can link anything you want to do in security to one of those three elements, more than likely they're going to pull you in. I am lucky enough to say that I sit in the SLT meetings of each of my executive leaders. Why am I there? I'm there to sit and listen and understand what's happening in their business and figure out how, as their security practitioner, I can help them achieve that goal with a secure lens and not be disruptive, right? But be additive to the conversation. And, and sometimes I think, you know, security folks, we, we think we know it all. We, th we think we've got it all. Um, there was a comment earlier about a lot of, you know, orga small, smaller organizations, but I think a lot of larger organizations, to Larry's point, they, they do it wrong too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what does a threat intelligence practice look like at that organization? And even if you don't have anybody that sits in that seat, what about your incident data? Like there's so much gold in your incident data. Even if you're looking at how your incidents have evolved from one year to the next, like where do 80% of your incidents occur? And I think if a lot more folks took a look at that and, and not just through metrics that our business partners, but we were able to, to tell a story and link those incidents to gaps or link those incidents to a lack of response or link those incidents back to a DevOps process, we would get so much further. One thing so that I really like about how you tied it to the business, Nicole, is it gets us away from the, the FUD factor, the fear, right? Of the, you know, we're, we're trying to keep you off the front page of the Wall Street Journal, which is what every board member executive says, right? To their security, <laughs> head of yeah. security. But in, in aligning it to these are the outcomes the business is after, we're after those same outcomes too. And here's how we're going to help you deliver. Because the one thing will slow us all down is if we do have a problem or customer data leaks and now all of a sudden we can't get those customers in market because we lost their trust, whatever it might be. Um, but but so even more great important, way to measure it. Yeah, but even more important, Mitch, you know, what the, what Nicole said, I, I think cannot be understated. 
So we talk about things in data loss, leaks, breaches, ransomware, B, you know, business email compromise, BECs, those things. But as important, if not more important, we're doing things where our client satisfaction goes in, down the drain, right? We, we do not have a, a good score depending on, which means we don't have renewals. Or we are uh, adding so much time and cost to the business that we're no longer profitable. You know, those kinds of things are as important, if not more important, than what could happen in the future. Um, and it's something that we've got to be a part of. And one of the core problems for a lot of security folks is they don't come from business backgrounds. They come from purely security tech or network tech backgrounds, and they've never experienced what it's like to be part of a business. And I always recommend to people that I mentor as they're moving up their career, they say, well, what do I need to do to be a CISO? And to me, I tell them, leave security, leave security, go join the business, go get into sales for a little while, go get into another area where you are responsible for business outcomes so that you can bring the two together. You will be a very powerful CISO. But if you don't do that, I wish you the best of luck. You know, one of the things that we do here, and Alan is really big on this show is, so people are listening, we all understand the problem. And, you know, I think it's easier for Nicole, people like you and I, we work in large organizations, we have these teams around us, but Larry brought up the SMBs. And we like to give tactical things that we recommend people, just people, whether you're the CEO of an SMB, you know, you're the security exec, the IT exec, the sales exec, that they can go do to better themselves and their companies around today, best practices. So what advice would you give to the audience of things they can tactically do um, in their own organizations? I really feel I feel the same pain around the SMB because we we also have data that shows that the SMBs are expected to operate like a large enterprise because they're they're at a level of complexity even though they're not at the level of size. Um, just a sort of one practical tip that that I've learned is I'll jump on the bandwagon of what's important to the organization. If if we are headed down a path to accomplish something, align your security, align your project, align what you're doing to help that achieve that, and you'll get you'll get funded. As opposed to I need to sell the company on insurance so we don't get hacked or whatever the, the messaging is. But that best way to get money is to go to where the money is. So while you all are thinking of this, mine is get educated. Uh, that's, a, I think, you know, and I say this a lot, I, you know, Larry, like you and Nicole, like you, I talk to a lot of people out there, a lot of other industries, and we all come from different definitions, right? We've had different experiences. BEC means different things to different people. How you remediate BEC means different things to different people. Ransom. I mean, there's all sorts of, but you have to get educated. And I, and I think a lot of people think they have to go to school to get educated around this. And I think that's, that is a wrong attitude. There are plenty of people, you can look at the panel we've brought in today, that are in cybersecurity, that are very active in business level social media, we'll leave it at business level social media, that want to help, that are part of regional communities, you know, Larry, the, the foundation that you're the president, one of the co-founders of, would be a great place for people to go to get educated. You ask questions and you, you know, join these things. 
the little bit of effort it takes to join these roundtables, now they're all virtual. You don't even have to get in your car. You know, to join a roundtable, to ask the dumb question is invaluable in helping you in whatever your particular situation is get better. Ask us. We are all on the same side of this. Your success, even though we have nothing to do with each other and company-wise, is my success. Just the way it is. We're all allies. Ask for help. Because I can tell you, some people go, oh, Matt, you already know. Baloney. I ask for help all the time. You know, so it's interesting. You say, sorry. It's interesting you say that, right? So that is one of the biggest things I preach. And I tell people, I've learned more from my community than any book has ever taught me. Because my community, right? Matt was the first guy I worked with getting out of the military. I had, I was a military officer, or the security at the Pentagon, like that's, that's what I knew. So when I got out, I, I, there was no way I knew it all, right? But, but it is community. It is the LinkedIn community. It is, right, and, and, and my, at ICMC, we have a Slack community, right? I'm in, I'm in CISO chat groups in Slack. I'm in CISO chat groups in Signal. Uh, I used to be in CISO chat groups in WhatsApp, but those all transitioned to Signal with <laughs> the, the, the change in policy, the privacy policy. Yeah. But, but like those communities, right, get out and get into your community and learn, ask questions. The only dumb question is the one you don't ask, right? So, so literally utilize these communities and engage with people. I tell, I tell people, young people coming into the industry, they're like, how, how do I to, you know, engage? I'm like, listen, go out and see people that you want to engage with and look at what they're commenting on. Look at the stories that they're commenting on on LinkedIn. Look at the people they're following. And go in there and start dialogue. Respond to something that they typed. Ask them a question, right? It is, we, we've got to move out of this bubble, right, of thinking that we, it, it, like, our only way to learn is go to school, take a course, or, or, or read a book. Like, literally, if you really think about how small the globe has gotten because of technology, you can learn so much by getting involved in conversation. And that's where literally most of my learning comes from. And I have to throw in there, because if you go take a course, you can learn what was written, was written, because that course material was written. If you engage in a conversation, you can learn what's going on right now. So, guys, I, I want to comment in on this one. You know, Mitchell and I co were two co-founders of three of a company called Still Secure back in Boulder area in 2001. And I, I was there to, through 2009. Around 2006 or seven, I actually led a, a pivot at the company where I, I came to the conclusion that, quite frankly, security's hard, too hard. It was too hard then, it's just as hard now, especially, Larry, for SMBs, right? I think even more than SMBs, I think there's a handful of companies in the world, maybe Unisys is one of them, Matt, that have the resources in hand, on hand, to really do a great job on cybersecurity. But it, there's a handful of companies, not the SMBs. Security's way too hard for them. There's too many facets. There's too much change. You can't expect, 
a lesson I learned in the company before still secure is if something is critical and core to your business, you don't outsource it. But if it's not both critical and core, you look at outsourcing it. For most SMBs, security is, is critical, but it's not core to what they do, right? And, and so when you're talking about that, that makes a good candidate for outsourcing. And that's why it's still secure. We pivoted. I bought an MSSP down here in Florida, and we became more of a managed security service provider where it is critical and core to what I do. And I will take care of you because we realize it's not critical and core to your business. And I, to this day, that was 10 years ago, 12 years, 14 years ago. Time flies when it's COVID. But um, I still feel the same way that for many individuals, yeah, get educated. And there's many ways, paths to education, Grasshopper. But for most of the organizations that you're working at, security's going to be a little bit more than you can chew. And you got to look at help. It's a lot more than you can chew. And let's be honest, a lot yeah. of SMBs have very limited money, right? It, and if yeah. your goal to what Nicole was saying earlier is you have a product you're trying to get to market and you have funding to get that product to market and you tell them, I'm going to need 30% of that funding to go to this thing that does not bring my product to market. You've got a difficult conversation. Yeah, no, that, don't, that's a loser. That's a loser. But you don't have to be a cyber person to join the conversation. I speak more no. often to CIOs and CEOs, and even a lot now the investment banking community is starting to come to people like us because they want to understand what questions do I ask? I don't understand what these people are saying. Should we be looking at things as part of the investment? Because we don't want to invest in a, an SMB that gets breached and loses all the data because now that liability is on me and I look bad. So the, the conversation's out there, but I, I agree but it's not just about the cyber people being better cyber people. It's the business people being better business people business securely. People. Yeah. I agree. We're on, I think so you, you I'm sorry, Nicole, you're gonna have last word. Go ahead. Okay. So just to just to circle back on on uh, how companies can move forward and do better, a couple of things. First is just understanding your, your threat landscape. What do you have of value? Where is it? Who wants it? How do they try to get to it? I also think there's value in aligning your security efforts with your business goals because it just positions you to add value by making security simple. It keeps you relevant and your security program will evolve as your business does. We talked a lot about this earlier, pressure testing your best practices, right? If you had to eliminate half of the things you need to do to go live, which ones would you choose? And back to Matt's earlier point, diversifying your security footprint, right? There's so much value in people who have expertise in sales, project management, consulting, audit. Um, being able to change the conversation is of significant value and you would be surprised about how much progress you can make. Amen. Thank you, Nicole. That's the last word. Larry, hey man, it's great seeing you. We hope to see you again on CISO Talk soon. Nicole, always, always great. You're, you have an open invitation here. Matthew, you did good today, kid. Thank you good very stuff. much. It was a lot Alrighty. of fun. Excellent. Mitchell, is always a pleasure having you. Thank you so much for your input. This is going to wrap up this episode of CISO Talk. We'll be back in two weeks or one, you know, every other week with our next show, and we'll, we'll continue the conversation. But until then, we hope you found this interesting. We hope it was informative. Um, 
be secure, stay secure, and uh, this is Alan Schimmel. We're out.